Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. I wanted a career in which everything would matter. Because I'm motivated by something bigger than myself. So I joined the CIA. And now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Here, my abilities contribute to our mission. Agency professionals have extraordinary integrity and exceptional talents. And every day, we do work that's incredibly important. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit cia.gov slash careers to learn more and apply. Coach, what can you say about J.C. Horn and the way his performance was today defensively? If there's a better corner out there, I want to see him. Uh, The guy's an outstanding football player. Got two interceptions today. He calls the other one uh, on a tip pass. Uh, he and, uh, and Williams battled all day. It was a great battle. Uh, we matched him up on him and felt good about, you know, where we were going to be in those situations. But some really nice plays on the ball. The guys always had great ball skills for whatever reason. I know some of it hadn't, hadn't been targeted very much. Just be honest. So, but, but he's a heck of a player and, uh, and I'm very happy for him today. Wish he had gotten in the end zone there on that one return. And that is, of course, South Carolina head coach Will Muschamp, fresh off the Gamecocks' big win over Auburn on Saturday. That noise you heard in the background was actually Mike Yuva joining the Zoom call from literally Colin Taylor's wedding. So that's how the weekend went. But I'm Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. We are glad to be live and glad to be talking to you about another big South Carolina win, the Gamecocks defeating Auburn 30-22. to 
which is a very weird score, Chris, but one that sort of as the game ended, I was like, why is that score so familiar to me? And then you go back and you realize, what, 2005, South Carolina beats Florida uh, for the first time since the 30s. Yeah. Steve Spurrier, year one, beating Urban Meyer and his former team. So kind of a cool little throwback there. 30-20, to 20, South Carolina holds on for dear life there in the end and wins the game over Auburn. This is GC Live. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and also we're archived on all the major podcast platforms. So follow us, whatever one you're most comfortable with, if you want to listen to the audio. But we'd love to have you on YouTube, youtube.com slash Gamecock Central. We are brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com, and we are home of the game day chair. I see uh, the comment section today is popping. Everybody is in. Everybody feeling good. And... Chris, this is the type of win I think this program can build off of. We'll talk a bit about sort of what it means moving forward, if they can build off of it, and then on the other side, if they, if they don't, you know, if they can. It's an opportunity. But before we get rolling, man, and what's up to everybody in there, I'm not going to throw everybody's name out there because we've got so many right now. But – Dude, no, nothing short of a big win for the Gamecocks. And anytime you beat somebody that you haven't beaten since the Great Depression, it's uh, it's noteworthy, it's newsworthy, and, and it's a big day for Carolina. It's a big day for that staff, players, and the fans, man. I think uh, the fans needed the last two weekends, really, and they deserve it. Yeah, and that was the thing, you know, after the Vanderbilt win, you know, it was a win. People weren't too awful excited about it because it was Vanderbilt, right? And South Carolina started off the season with two challenging games. You know, especially the Florida contest was was even more challenging than the Tennessee one. But we knew Tennessee would be a close game. Florida would be a game that South Carolina wouldn't be favored in. But it's still a disappointing result the first two weeks. Vanderbilt's a game that you obviously had to have. And South Carolina went out and executed, took care of business there. And that was all well and good. But it, from there, it was about, okay, can you go get one? You know, can you go win one of these swing games, one of these 50-50 games? And there's so many of them on this schedule. There's several. And it's the difference between having a pretty good season and not a good season at all for the Gamecocks. So when, when you look at that schedule, this was one at home against an Auburn team. And coming into this season at the beginning of the year, and then after the first couple, first three games for both of these teams – you looked at Auburn and felt like, was it a game that you definitely pick South Carolina in? Not necessarily, um, but you don't definitely pick Auburn. It's one. It fell into the category of one of those swing games, and so South Carolina was able to. It was close, like we thought it would be. Came down to the last drive of the football game. The bottom line: South Carolina made more plays to win that game. Uh, they they made the winning plays, and they were able to walk away. So. It was huge, you know, to get back two and two on the season after starting out zero and two. The historical aspect of beating Auburn, um, and and the ability to go build some confidence and get back in the winning column now two weeks in a row, with an opportunity to go to LSU and do it again possibly, and, and that would certainly carry you into the bye week feeling much much better. Yeah, and depending on how you know long the show goes, otherwise we may get into LSU a little bit. But 
if, uh, you know, otherwise we certainly have all week to get into LSU. So for the most part, we'll concentrate on Auburn, what this win means and how, how it happened. I, I think for me, Chris, two things stand out. And for me, it's kind of how the game started and how the game ended. As far as how it started, it sort of felt like, and I'm sure if you went back through our game thread on Gamecock Central, even on, on Instagram, uh, a post I had put before the game, some of the comments during the first half uh, were just brutal. And it sort of felt like one of those games that starts out, South Carolina down nine to nothing. You have the big, uh, the big run by Kevin Harris. It gets called back. And it, it was just one of these games where you're like, man, this is an ugly start for South Carolina. And I, I think that there was kind of a, a turning point there where you're looking, you're saying, and, and you watch enough football, you know if a team goes up two scores early on, there's kind of a, a stretch there where if the team that's down answers and cuts it back to a one-score game, everything sort of settles in, and you know you're going to have a ball game on your hands. Whereas if the team that's down two scores makes another big mistake, has a turnover, or has a three and out, and then allows another touchdown, you know you can maybe allow another field goal in that spot if you're down 9 nothing, and, and you're, you're still settled in, right? But you give up a touchdown. You know, Carolina starts with their back against the wall, down 9 nothing, down I guess it would have been 16-7. And you're kind of sitting there saying this at this point in the game, it could go either way where you're talking blowout potentially or what we saw, a close game. So I think the way this team answered um, says a lot about them. I think we've actually seen that. As much as a season can be a bit of a roller coaster as far as results go, we've seen this team fight all year long through four games. I think 100% this is not a team that that quits. They sort of just go out, not always pretty, certainly not flashy always, but they sort of keep pounding away. They stick to the run. They don't give up on that part of the ball. You know, So I think they did that on Saturday, but then the big thing, man, finding a way to hang on and win the game late. I think we all knew when South Carolina had the football with eight, we are up by eight, under three minutes, Auburn needing to burn their timeouts. I think we all knew South Carolina was going to run the football three times. And chances are, you know, Auburn's selling out against the run. Now, maybe you spring one and you get the big first down where Auburn's got everybody up and you get by that first line of defense and you get a first down and you probably can end the game. Percentage-wise, though, percentage-wise, I should say, I'm sitting there saying, Carolina will run the ball three times, Auburn will use their timeouts, South Carolina will punt the ball, try to pin them back, which had a chance to pin them back, which would have made it a lot easier on their defense if they could have downed that ball inside the 10. But then Auburn has the ball. They got to drive to try to tie. I think it being, Chris, an eight-point game at that point gives you a little more uh, confidence in how you can call the game right there. You can go three. If you're if it's a four-point game or a three-point game even, I think you have to be maybe a little more aggressive on offense and try to just stay on the field. But knowing Auburn needs a touchdown and a two-point conversion, South Carolina runs it, punts it, defense is on the field. 
they're playing sort of a you know I think it was a cover two man type look. They you know they're dropping safeties back. Auburn shoots down the field. Um, towards the end, they sort of started spying um, Bo Nix, and and they did what they wanted to do structurally. Muschamp is a very very situational based coach and how he's going to coach that situation. The defense holds and you get a key SEC win by executing the plan late. And I think not to put too much into one game, Chris, but we talked about being able to build off of Vanderbilt. I think you can build confidence because South Carolina is going to be in that position. We've talked about it many more times this season. Now you're in that spot, you look back, and you've done it before is probably my biggest takeaway from this game on Saturday. Yeah, you know, so one thing we talked about is how this is going to be a low margin of error team. And and you typically have that with a schedule like South Carolina's, but this is a team that, you know, this is this season, right? So we don't need to talk about always what happened last year or the end of 2018 or whatever, but – you got to understand that this team's not going to, nor is it expected to make some gigantic leap in one year. They they have put some things in place that have seemed to improve things. Mike Bobo, for example, and I'm sure we'll go into more of that later. But, you know, this was a team where we knew that in some of these really close games, Tennessee, for example, it's going to be about the team that made the least amount of mistakes, that made the critical plays. They didn't against Tennessee. You know, they had a pick six. They didn't make some key you know, decisions in that game against Florida. Um, they didn't do enough to go score an upset. You know, Vanderbilt, different type of ball game, obviously. But here against Auburn, they did it. And so now when you talk about, you know, some of the other swing games with LSU um, being really a swing game now is sort of how that one's thought of, right, given how the season's played out. But LSU or Missouri or Kentucky, if you consider that one, several other of these games, now they do have – that that they can build on where that where they have done that they've come out and they've made you know some of those plays and I just think we've seen you know so going to specifically to Auburn you mentioned you know that pun at the end the end of game situation you know what that actually reminded me of I was just thinking was the end of game situation the 2017 Tennessee game that was a game South Carolina won 15-9 in Knoxville uh, Parker White kicks off Tennessee's got some time on the clock, start from the 25, and Will Muschamp, it, it was almost nearly verbatim what he, what he told Travaris Robinson in that game in this one. They said, make them earn it. Let's keep everything in front of us. Let's make them bleed it, right? They're, you know, Auburn was down eight. Tennessee was down six, had to score a touchdown. Both of them got way too close for comfort for the Gamecocks, but they were able to hold. And so – I think we saw a lot of second-half adjustments, right? South Carolina outscored it, Auburn in the second half. The way that they played, you know, formations was better in the second half. The defensive line, I know people were frustrated watching the game saying, why can they not sack Bo Nix? Number one, he's mobile. Number two, he showed that he can scramble out or he can scramble through the pocket. You had to play with really strong gap integrity. And they were able to force him out and force him into mistakes. He's got a tendency to get really happy in there and start moving around almost instantly. I think South Carolina made him really uncomfortable, and they were so disciplined in that approach most of the time. They did miss some chances, 
that they forced him to sit back there and he made some poor decisions. Now, he did have some scrambles on that last drive, but you live with that, right, because he's not making big plays, pushing it down the field, they're burning clock. They came up with some big plays there at the end of the game. You think about Shiloh Sanders' stop at the end. They had the double spy with Enigbari and Ernest Jones on that last play. Um, I just think they made a lot of adjustments defensively and offensively too. I mean, Mike Bobo has proven that over and over again, that he's finding a way to adjust. Four times the Gamecocks have scored double-digit points in the second half. They only did that four times all year last year, 12-game schedule. So I think uh, the way that they came out and played, even the games they've lost, Wes, they've come out and they've played better in the mo- for the most part. You, you maybe take away the Florida game. They've played better in the second half. And so um, that's something that people wanted to see, and we have seen it so far. No doubt, man. Just a, a big win all the way around. And I, I think you're, you're seeing – the blueprint for South Carolina. And it, it's it's nothing new. The, the blueprint was the same the two games they lost, uh, you know, as it was the two they, they won. They just executed a little bit better. And some of it is competition. You know, it's a game of matchups. And, you know, beating Florida at Florida with the athletes they have on offense is, is going to be tough. So sometimes it is about just who you're playing on that given day. But give them credit for bouncing back. There's a lot of negativity around the program after 0-2. Go back to them taking care of business against Fandy, now finding a way against Auburn. It gives you a chance this year. You know, you're not you're not treading water anymore, which is what it felt like after the 0-2 start. By the way, um, we don't push the site a ton on the show. We want to do this show to talk Gamecock football rather than be salesmen. But, Chris, if there's ever a time that we're going to push the site it's right now because in honor of our buddy Colin Taylor's wedding and in honor of the Gamecocks' big win over Auburn, we do have a deal right now that if you are a freebie watching the show and you've ever wanted to support the show and support our business, this is the time to get in because I promise you this deal is not coming back again, and it ends at midnight. So if you're not a subscriber to GamecockCentral.com, Head on over there right now. Just go to GamecockCentral.com, either on your phone or on your computer. Subscribe right now. Type in the promo code BEATAUBURN in that field. You will get your entire first year for $12. It's normally $100. You'll get it for $12. And that way we're trying. Obviously, with COVID, everybody's been affected with how much money they want to spend on, you know, maybe stuff you feel like you don't need. Maybe uh, you or the wife don't want to spend $100 right now on Gamecock content. But hop on in. We want you on board. This is an opportunity for anybody and everybody who wants to experience Gamecock Central to come on. If you're a new subscriber, beat Auburn. That's all you got to put in. $12. That you probably literally spent more on lunch, depending on where you ate and if you tipped. Hopefully you tipped. If you're not a tipper, we don't want you on the site because – Take care of your, take care of your restaurant workers. So just come on and twelve bucks. It ends at midnight, going away, never coming back. But this, we wanted to do something big, a big opportunity for everybody who wants to be a part of our forum, our community, our family on GamecockCentral.com. Head on over, Shane. Get on over there, man. Come on over. All right. So back to the game, Chris. I think before we move on. Um, to other people 
We played Muschamp to start the show. We we got to talk a little bit more about J.C. Horn, man, because this dude, first of all, he is that dude. Like, he has been the guy. He has been that alpha of this defense for, I would say, the second he stepped on campus. We started hearing about this guy. But, man, I couldn't be happier for this kid. I say kid. He's not even really a kid anymore. For this guy, because – I think if you really watch South Carolina, all of us, you know, the people watching this, we we knew how good J.C. Horn was. All of you listening or watching knew how good J.C. Horn was. But now I think the SEC, maybe there's NFL teams that hadn't quite, you know, they're looking at hundreds of guys. Maybe they hadn't quite realized how good this dude is. Now he has the flash plays to go along with just shutting his guy down, which is what he does every single week. And also, Chris, I got to ask, man, what in the world are Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris and Bo Nix and whoever's actually making these decisions doing? Testing number one. Because J.C. Horn is the guy, once he realized, he, he doesn't walk into the building thinking he's getting tested. Because nobody tests him. You're picking on me? I'm J.C. Horn. You know? He's the type of guy that feeds off of that. And we saw what happens, and we saw why every other team South Carolina has played is maybe smarter, at least in that decision, than Auburn's coaches. It's a great question. I would love to know the answer. I don't have one. Um, but you're right. Good for JC. Good for South Carolina. You know, I think schematically, look, because look, a little bit lost in all this. John Dixon's played well. He played. He played well against Auburn. That helped. If JC Horn's over there shutting down Seth Williams and everybody else is just running wide open, then maybe we don't notice it quite as much, at least statistically. And you're exactly right. It, you know, from from a regional national standpoint, people just look who had the most interceptions in that game. All right, or who's had the most interceptions this week? That's the best corner. It's not about that, right? But JC finally got some interceptable balls. He has not had a ton of them, you know, that weren't difficult plays, and he made them. He made even some difficult ones on Saturday. Um I don't know, you know, Seth Williams is, look, he's really good. People are going to forget that after this week, too. Seth Williams is really good. He's made some pretty good players look pretty foolish with some of the 50-50 balls he's won. And so um, I think at times, it it was sort of a mixed bag. You know, one of the balls, it looked like Bo Nix was trying to back shoulder it, and they weren't on the same page. And J.C., of course, had great coverage. Another one, Bo Nix was scrambled out, and he threw it into traffic. You know, I mean – um, there were some other balls that he tried to fit in there, you know. Um, and, um, you know, Seth Williams, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he made the one really good play. I mean, J.C., if you see a picture of it, a still, he has his hand on it, and Seth Williams wrestled it away. That was like the only one he gave up. I mean, J.C. broke up. I think it might have even been on the same drive. Three would-be touchdowns that Seth Williams could have caught. And and then intercepted a couple other passes and then tipped the one that Dickerson intercepted that was also intended for Williams. So I don't know why they kept going there. Um, you know, 
Auburn did find some things, you know, in the RPO game and the short game. They dropped some passes. So they didn't they didn't play as clean as they would like, I'm sure. But there's no doubt they weren't afraid to go after JC and, and they should have been. Um, yeah, the, the comments today have been outstanding so far. Appreciate y'all. If you're if you're listening on the podcast, again, YouTube um, and Facebook. We got some good Facebook comments too, but uh, that, that's the place to be. But Dude, so I think, and and I'm gonna still hopefully, hopefully Kimry is cool with this. Eric Kimry, I'm gonna steal one thing from his podcast yesterday because I was on there, and you know Kimry has a column with us. We're on his show, he's on our show, so I'm gonna give full credit and then steal this. But Michael Skarnakia was on there yesterday, former Gamecock quarterback, of course. Awesome dude, super smart. He's in law school right now. Way smarter than me and Chris. Um, <laughs> super yeah. smart dude. And so Skarnakia obviously was here, and Dan Warner, uh, former Carolina coach, was here. And Dan Warner obviously had a good feel for Auburn and that staff from his time at Alabama. So Dan Warner has talked to Skarnakia just in passing in the past about Gus Malzahn, the Auburn offense. And what Skarnekia passed along on the fade in, and by the way, go, you know, if you want another podcast to listen to, go on over there, check out Fade In Podcast from uh, EK. But so apparently most of this Auburn offense is one read or two reads. And it's sort of throw to that guy or throw to this guy and then take off. And you see with, with Bo Nix, he takes that advice very literally and gets out of there <laughs> yeah sometimes when he doesn't have to yeah i think frankly that's a problem with them i think uh, but it does create some situations where maybe you're saying hey seth williams is our guy we we trust him we're gonna keep throwing it because eventually he's gonna it's you know steve spurrier throwing three th- fades to alshon jeffrey eventually my guy is gonna come down with it but on this day you know, ten, they play 10 games, nine games out of 10, maybe that works. On this day, throwing to number one, it did not work. Um, I do think, and this is sort of another subject, but, dude, Tank Bigsby is not only the stud that we thought he was when South Carolina recruited him so hard, but he is actually more than that. And the problem Auburn has right now, man, is that, it's very similar to problems South Carolina has had at times last year and the year before. When you are so RPO-centric and you let your opponent's defense dictate where the football goes, it's outsta- It's an outstanding idea in theory. But it also keeps you at times from getting the football to your best player. And for me, at times, Auburn needed to just say, we're getting the ball to Tank Bigsby because that's our best guy right now on this day. And we saw South Carolina stay hard-headed, as Muschamp says, in the running game. The running game did not look pretty in the first half. They stuck with it, and those those runs got longer and longer. You look to the other side, man, Auburn, I mean, Tank, dude, Tank, I think is going to be the best back in the SEC at one point, potentially, as he gets older. So don't you at some point sort of have to make a point 
to say we're just going to give him the football. And I thought South Carolina made it a point to keep getting Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick, who we'll talk about in a second, another unsung hero in my opinion. Get them the football. Let your offensive line wear down Auburn's front. Auburn, on the other hand, sort of stuck, stuck with their RPO stuff, and it took the ball out of Bigsby's hands. Yeah, I thought they overthought it somewhat. Um, you know, schematically at times, I'm sure South Carolina tried to bear in mind that, hey, what can we do from a schematic standpoint to try to force the issue with Auburn throwing it? And I think we saw that on more of the obvious passing situations or when Auburn did drop back to actually pass the ball. I don't know why they didn't stick more with Bigsby. They probably should have. I think they overthought it a little bit, which has happened with, with Gus Malzahn in the past. Um, Will Muschamp's talked about that a lot with Mike Bobo in that he's going to run the ball. It's probably going to be a rare occasion where you go back and look at a South Carolina game with Mike Bobo's OC, win or lose, and say they abandoned the run. There have been times in the first these first few games, including against Vanderbilt early, they passed the ball early against Vanderbilt, but the run wasn't exactly working in that game. They eventually busted it open. He'll make adjustments from a schematic standpoint. They'll do some different things. They'll get better because Kevin Harris has seemed to get better. Deshaun Fenwick's come on. The offensive line, for whatever reason, has played better too as the game has gone on into the second half. So you've got that. Um, you've got all. You've got the fact that Bo Nix and South Carolina is obviously going to see this as a defensive staff on tape. Like you said earlier, Wes, he's got the propensity to take a snap, look, and then he's immediately moving around. And that's sort of what you want if you've got a one or two read offense when you got a guy that's sort of struggling throwing the ball on the run a little bit and you can try to force some mistakes. That's exactly what South Carolina needed, and I think they sort of baited them into that a little bit. Yeah, and I think uh, this was also discussed a bit on, on our fade-in deal. I think – when you have a situation with a quarterback like that, at times it does look like, oh, there's not enough pass rush. But you can't you can't just rush um, up the field outside of your lanes and let this guy take off and, and destroy yeah. you. It has to be within the confines of uh, you know your responsibilities. So I, I thought you know, and Bo Nix is one of those guys that he's going to make some big plays on you. He's going to make some flash plays on you. But you just have to limit those enough to where it sort of comes back down to the mean, which is that he's not an incredibly accurate quarterback right now. His fundamentals are not great. He's very talented from a physical standpoint. If you put him in a a football throwing contest and said, you know, throw the ball through the wall, basically, like he's going to he's going to look good in those settings. But is he a great SEC quarterback yet? I would say no. And so is, is he a great competitor? Yes, absolutely. But to do all the things that you need to do in this league, I think Carolina sort of exposed some of those things. And we, we had a question, Tank Bigsby better than Marshawn Lloyd. And I when I say Tank Bigsby, I think has a chance to be the best running back in the SEC. That's no knock to anybody else in the SEC. It's just we haven't and Marshawn Lloyd is going to be outstanding, but we haven't gotten the chance to see him with our own eyes run the football against SEC competition. What Tank is doing for their offense right now 
is very, very impressive. And the fact he's only a freshman means he's only going to get better. So we'll see. And I, we're all excited to see Marshawn Lloyd. We've hyped him up probably as much as you can possibly hype a guy who hasn't gotten a chance to go play yet. So that's that's no slight on anybody else. So let's take all the Auburn and Bow talk and push it back to the South Carolina side. Chris, I think that Colin Hill is the anti-Bo Nix. Yes. And it, it may be it may be super flashy with Bo Nix. Bo can run. Bo can make some crazy plays for you. Colin Hill's over here. Not the fastest dude. It's not super flashy. He's way more even kill. But he's not going to make those plays that get you beat either. And for South Carolina right now, the blueprint to win is to stay in the game, keep pushing, keep fighting, blue-collar approach, keep running the football, take the right, take the throws that are there, take a few chances when you have to, but don't continuously. It's chaotic for Auburn and, and Bo Nix, I feel like. It's not chaotic for South Carolina's offense. It's not even maybe as fun to watch necessarily, but when you look back and you say not turning the football over for the most part, getting yourself in the right plays, and for the most part, taking the football where it's supposed to be. That's what South Carolina has to have right now. And, Chris, I'm going to tie this in with a comment to our buddy, uh, Michael Beckham, who is a USC Beckham on Gamecock Central. That's the blueprint, and it does remind you a bit of the 2017 team for South Carolina where you're going to give up some yards inside the 20s. But if you are good defensively in the red zone, if you are good offensively in the red zone, if you create turnovers and you don't turn the ball over yourself, you will have a chance to win these games. Are you going to win them all? There are still talent deficiencies at some spots, to be completely frank and honest, or unproven guys. But that's going to put Carolina in position to win games if they can continue to do those things. Yeah, I mean, there are some similarities. You know, that 2017 team. Um, so, first of all, here, here's the thing. I think this this team on offense doesn't have Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards and Hayden Hurst like that 2017 team. But you almost feel better about this offense, right? Like, they, they don't have as much explosive potential. But they are more consistent, I think. You know, you look at that 2017 team – and they squeak out a 17-16 win over Louisiana Tech, right? They scored 13 points against Kentucky. Now, they scored 35 against NC State, put up 48 against Arkansas. You know, they beat Vandy 34, you know. But that year, they go on the road to Tennessee. It was not a good football team that year, and they they really scratch and call and 15-9 win, Right. And so that year you kept, you went throughout that year and said, are they really maximizing or are they, the consistency in the production on offense? You feel like they're maximizing it this year, right? Given what Mike Bobo walked into. And so I think that's, you know, points towards his coaching ability and, and what he squeezed out of this offense. 
coming into this year, nobody was sitting there or should have been sitting there saying, all right, can South Carolina start scoring 30 points a game? No. If Now, if they did, that'd be fantastic for them, obviously. But nobody said that. What they did need is they needed to be able to sustain drives, right? They needed to be able to flip the field at times, even if you're not scoring points. Can you move the chains a few times and play field position? Can you not turn the ball over as much? Can you play better in the red zone and, and score touchdowns when you do get in the red zone? Um, is your third down, you know, conversion rate better? And they've answered the bell in those key areas because they have been better in those. And so I think that's maybe one of the biggest differences in this game. And Colin Hill is exactly what, in my opinion, South Carolina needed. A steady hand. He can get them in and out of plays. He can take the, that low margin of error and try and almost ensure, not not ensure, that's maybe not the right word, but he can give them a better chance of staying on the right side of that. And in this game, I would point out, he still took some shots. You talk about third and three. I think he had a little slant open. He throws a deep wide, wide open, actually. Wide open. Yeah. Now, the only thing, they had a little sort of a slant-flat combo, and so the linebacker was going towards the flat, so maybe he felt like he was still in that window a little bit. To me, it looked wide open. Um, but instead, it's third and three, critical play. Chucks it up there to Kevion Mullins, draws a pass interference. You know, the third and seven play, throws it up to Shy Smith one-on-one. You know, um, the the other play to Shy Smith, the touchdown, where, it, yeah, it's a free play, but he makes a really good throw, gives Shy Smith an opportunity. So I think he did take some shots here and there. He definitely picks his spots with that, but he's just been that steady hand. He and Mike Bobo both, they've been that steadying force that I think this offense needs. Are they super explosive? No. But are they – more consistent, which is what they needed. I think so. Yeah, there's the word of the preseason again: consistency. Probably <laughs> used that a thousand times this off season, but yeah. And I think, man, you, you look at Bobo, and we we said all off season, hey, don't expect this offense to average thirty points a game. Well, right now they're through four games, they're averaging thirty point five points per game. So so far, they have uh, really just steadily hit right around. Uh, you know, it skewed a bit up with Vandy, but then it skews down a bit. Um, you know, the the other, but but right around that that thirty point game, so thirty points per game. So that's you, it. Kind of makes you wonder what could Bobo be doing right now if you did still have a Marshawn Lloyd in the mix, if you had a Jalen Brooks out there as well. If or God, if you go back to a couple of years ago, if he had a Debo and a Brian Edwards and Hayden Hurst and hate, yeah, I mean. Wow. But yeah, he was the head coach at the time, so there's no – he couldn't have actually been hired at the time. So right, right. There's, no, there's no good to say what if. But it is interesting yes. to think about, I think. Um, all right, man, let's, let's hit the O-line for a second. Let's give them some love. I think uh, they're starting to find their best five. Somebody mentioned that above. I can't remember who it was. Um, show yourself again, whoever said that earlier. Might have been Craig. I think, man, we sort of knew. We talked about it. That was the five they wanted to kind of get to. And Muschamp said it again that some of the issues they've had up front has just been that time off essentially hurting the big men maybe a little bit more than your skill guys. And I think we all – we were all affected – 
by COVID, I think athletically, even if you're like a gym person, you're, or, you know, you eat healthy. I think we all got a little, I mean, speaking personally, we all got a little more, uh, maybe fat on, on, on us after COVID. And then you're talking about yeah 300 and something pound dudes who it's man, it's hard for these guys to stay in shape. It really is. And jazz is sort of coming on must chant mention, um, Javon Gwynn lost some strength. And if you, if you're used to constantly lifting weights and lifting, I mean, Javon Gwynn is one of the strongest pound for pound dudes on this entire team. So you're used to lifting. Once you go, I don't know what the science is behind it. Two weeks, three weeks. Once you go a period of time without being able to lift that same amount of weight and doing the same exercises, you do start to lose some strength. You lose some muscle mass or the other side, you lose conditioning. We're starting to see these guys. Maybe he talked about with jazz, but then again, he mentioned Javon Gwynn as well. Lost some strength. So I think we're starting to see that come along again. The offensive line, it was not pretty in the first half, but I think as the game went along, they got more comfortable. I think Auburn's defense got worn down a little bit, and we're we're seeing this football team be able to run the ball. I feel like in the second half, even it sort of felt like um, Tennessee to me. I mean, Tennessee first half, Carolina's offensive line, they were not good, um, and the tight ends, as Muschamp pointed out, were not good in blocking. Um, looking at Pro Football Focus today, Nick Muse had a, a pretty high run block grade against. Uh, Auburn this week, and to me, second half O line run blocking, Chris, um, just way better than the first half. Well, and I think one of the things you got to attribute that to is Mike Bobo made some more adjustments, right? As he has every game, they adjusted to some different things. They they a they stuck with their run, b they adjust to some things based on how Auburn's played you, and and what can you get to this differently, and then c or three, I don't remember if I numbered or lettered it, whatever, um, you got the fact that you're executing better. And so I think one thing that I did notice in the first half was at times, even when the offensive line didn't look as good, the run production didn't look as good, and, and even some second half plays too, but specifically in the first half, there were times where the offensive line was pretty much hat on a hat. Um, but it was just sort of tight quarters right? There wasn't as much space, some of the inside runs um, where maybe a, a cutback wasn't found, or maybe it's just sort of tight quarters. And you are, we talk about this a lot. Ideally, you want a hat on a hat and you want your running back one-on-one with the linebacker, right? But sometimes it was just tight quarters. And even with the smaller Auburn linebackers, they were able to get in there and the space is just sort of closed up and the gains were minimal. But I think they did some things, A, that improved with some of those runs in the second half. B, they got to some outside runs. We saw it with Fenwick, some of his outside runs. Kevin Harris, the eight-yard touchdown run um, where, you know, Hutch seals off his guy. Eric Douglas comes around and flattens somebody. Uh, Muse cuts his guy. (laughs) Muse actually took out two guys on that play. He sort of rolled over a guy, and the Auburn defender took out his teammate. So he took out two guys with that block, but that was a well-blocked play. So there there were more plays in the second half where you go, that's well-blocked, and they were able to spring some guys on the edge. 
um, which which certainly led to more success on the ground. I'm with you, man. I don't know if we talked about this uh, publicly or just on the phone, but man, if I I would pay good money, I would pay way more than the twelve dollar deal we have right now to be able to watch and listen to Mike Bobo throughout the course of a game. Uh, not just the reactions, like I know Georgia. There's that clip floating around of him at Georgia, um, you know, yelling after big runs and stuff or big plays he's called, but just to hear the discussion about some of the uh, the adjustments that they're making and sort of finding out exactly what they're seeing because it's it's very I'm sure nuanced intricate stuff as far as what they're seeing from the defensive alignment. That's probably very hard to notice for most random fans. Maybe if you're a former offensive lineman, you notice some of those things. But I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear what you know what what he's saying in, in some of those instances. Uh, but yeah, it's been good. It's been fun to watch, man. I think uh, you know I, I was on JB Goldwater earlier. Offense and defense are always married together. Sometimes we forget that it's different players, different schemes, obviously. Most people aren't playing both ways. So in our minds, offense and defense are separate. But they're always married together. And when your defense is getting your offense turnovers, and when your offense is finding a way to stay on the field, not go three and out for the most part, those two things go hand in hand. There, there's, you know, some when the defense gives up a lot of points, everybody just blames the defense. But, hey, if the offense was going three and out and putting you right back on the field, that has something to do with it as well. We saw that late last year. Far too much. Too, way too many three and outs. So it's worth mentioning that they're playing, I think, complementary football um, on those two sides of the ball. All right, so let's, let's talk a little bit of recruiting, Chris, but tied into this Auburn game. Um, and since everybody on here – is about to sign up to Gamecock Central anyway. Probably already are by now. Yes. Yeah. Y'all can go to the front page right now and check out the latest on South Carolina and the number 25 overall prospect in the 2022 class. That is Kamari Wilson, a high, high, high four-star prospect according to Rivals rankings. May even be rated higher than that according to some other people. But Chris – Without uh, sort of going through everything, what what do we know about Kamari Wilson? And the thing is, right now, prospects can't take recruiting visits, but there's also nothing stopping. It's a free country, so there's nothing stopping you. If you want to buy a ticket to the game and go to the game, you, you can go. So there are some instances of prospects taking their own initiative or knowing, um, you know, people and going to games, uh, you know, around uh, the whole country. Yeah, you stole my terminology. I was going to say it's a free country. So, um, yeah, so here's a couple things to know. And everyone on the show who is or about to become a subscriber, definitely check out the full report. But um, so some connections there, right? Auburn and South Carolina both have a player on the roster from Wilson's former high school. Right now he goes to IMG in Florida, uh, obviously the big prep school there, so much talent. Uh, but he went to Westwood in Fort Pierce, Florida. 
So all, uh, South Carolina has Gilbert Edmond on the roster. He hasn't played so far this season, but he's on the roster. He was dressed out on the sidelines. And then Sherwood, number 20 from Auburn, also played at that school. So Gilbert Edmond and Kamari Wilson are pretty close from what we're told. Um, so Wilson was actually at the game on Saturday with a former coach of his from that area. Um, so there's a couple ties there. Wilson's always sort of liked South Carolina. I mean, the competition, as you can imagine, is pretty fierce. Some in-state schools, some out-of-state schools, all vying for his services. Um, but he was he was there, and from what we're, we're told, he's imp- he was impressed, has been impressed, and, and liked what he saw. So, again, not a proper visit. Can't talk to coaches. Can't go hang out with the team, et cetera. But if you want to get a ticket or if somebody takes you to the game, wherever, anywhere in the country, you can go. And so we, we've seen some prospects do that from time to time. And that's what happened with Kamari Wilson this past weekend. Also in recruiting news, I think worth mentioning, Chris, the fact that Tennessee, after just four games, lets go their defensive line coach. And Russ had asked about this earlier on the uh, chat there on YouTube. First of all, before we, you know where I'm going with this from a recruiting perspective, but before we get into that, that's just weird. I mean, four games in? Yeah. I feel like you almost never see that. Maybe you tell a guy, hey, start looking, (laughs) you know, but. Right. Just straight up that 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 me, for me means there's probably like this guy either is just an awful coach or it's just not meshing personality wise between him and the players or him and the other coaches you don't just fire coaches generally after four games yes it was weird i think what you do see if you see some early or mid-season changes, it's typically with coordinators, right? Like Blake Anderson at Arkansas State actually just let go his defensive coordinator, who, who he's actually close friends with. And I think there was another position coach looped into that, if I'm not mistaken, on the defensive side of the ball. So, But that was mainly tied to the defense. Defense turned in some really poor performances early in the year, and so he looked at it and said, we got to do this now. The defensive line coach situation was a little weird. I think everybody – came away from that game on Saturday saying, uh, I don't know that the D-line was exactly the problem, right? They were like, what about quarterback? What about the turnovers? Um, but Jeremy Pruitt was asked about that at his presser today. I actually listened to it, and he he chalked it up to philosophical differences. He did mention, Wes, something that made me think what you said, maybe a disconnect with the players or something because he said, you know, with COVID – Coaches aren't able to – they weren't able for a period of several months to get to know their players as much. So there had to have been some kind of disconnect there for that change to be made. I, I thought it was, you know, pretty strange. And Jeremy Pruitt is himself, from what he says, going to take over the defensive line duties for the rest of the year. So that obviously is a factor, I think, with um, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins from uh, Gaffney, a big target for South Carolina, a big target for Tennessee, a big target for the Georgia Bulldogs. And for anybody who follows uh, Tyrion on Twitter, they saw um, 
you know, he, he seemed, he said, oh man, uh, at the news. He also seemed very dialed in to South Carolina's win over Auburn. And this is a, this is a kid I would say, Chris, you take the, the public group. And I personally think you've been able to whittle it down for a while to Georgia, Tennessee, and South Carolina in some order. Now, what that order is has, I believe, probably changed and probably, depending on the day, could be anybody's guess. There had been some buzz for for Georgia and Tennessee, I I think, being ahead of South Carolina. Now, Tyrion has seen his recruitment change quite a bit. It has been up and down as far as who has been on top. I think this is the type guy that South Carolina finding its footing this season, winning some games. If you could tack on a win against LSU, so some recruits, the actual on-field results for a season don't really matter as much. Chris, my vibe is that with Ingram Dawkins, it, it does matter. And I have always thought that this was a South Carolina guy. I've thought they were going to be up and downs. It's going to be a roller coaster but that the Gamecocks would ultimately win out. Now, they started 0-2, Georgia playing well, Tennessee beat South Carolina. The other two teams you were going up against, they were in better shape perception-wise to start the year. Now, Georgia loses a, you know to, to Alabama. Tennessee throws about 100 interceptions and loses to Kentucky. And the Gamecocks win a couple games in a row. And he was obviously watching the game on Saturday, um, which some it's funny. Some recruits don't actually sit down and watch the games as much as you would think. So I think this could maybe be, and we're speculating. We generally try not to speculate with recruits, but here we kind of have to, I think. I could see him being a guy that if Carolina can keep winning, that it could help push them over the top. Yeah, there are certain prospects, man, where it's more – they're a little bit more day-to-day, you know, on, on what happens or maybe a little bit more uh, easily influenced when I say that. I, I don't mean it as a negative per se. I just think um, certain guys – you know, you think about it, Jordan Birch, for example. A lot of people are sitting there going at the end of the year, Clemson-South Carolina game, oh, man, that'll be huge. No, it didn't matter at all. I mean, Jordan Birch was at that game. He had his back turned to it. He, he wasn't even watching it. it. It wasn't a huge, significant factor. With, with Ingram Dawkins, I, I think you're exactly right. He he is so sort of embedded in the recruiting process. Um, he talks to a lot of coaches. He's very active on social media. I think that the wins and losses do matter a little bit more. That's not to say that South Carolina has to hit some certain number necessarily. Um, now, if you go through the season and you don't have a good year, that that could very well hurt your chances with him. Um, but winning some games and showing a, a potential, I think that could certainly help. Yep, so that, that's probably the two biggest things I would say recruiting-wise as far as this game. It's not it's not like most years where we can sit here and say, hey, there were 30 top targets at the game because it's just – it's different right now as far as recruiting. And uh, that's unfortunate as far as covering that stuff, but – it kind of is what it is, and that's just how it's going to be for a while. All right, Chris, so 
Before we roll on, man, let's I guess we do have a little bit of time. Let's get into LSU a bit because there has kind of, I would say, been some breaking news when it comes to LSU and this matchup. And that is that Miles Brennan uh, was the terminology used questionable or yes. yeah, so that that's their quarterback, obviously, and a kid that has had you know, it's it man, it's tough. Replacing Joe Burrow. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but I think a pretty, pretty talented guy. Um, he obviously was their quarterback for a reason and w- would be huge if he is out for this game on Saturday. Yeah. Um, so listening to Ed Orgeron today, it, it didn't sound great. He did use the word questionable. Everything else he said made it seem worse than questionable. You know, everything surrounding it. He said, that uh, that he had a significant lower body injury that initially they had thought he would be back by now, but he's not. So they're repping two true freshmen in practice, splitting 50-50. And the thing that stuck out that he said about Brennan was he said, I don't know that he'll play in this game. And so it, it, it didn't sound good. Now, is he sandbagging or something? Maybe. But I, I think it, it sounds you know, not too great for Miles Brennan. And so that could obviously change the equation for South Carolina if you've got a, a true freshman in the mix there, quarterback. South Carolina opened this game as a seven-point underdog. I think based on perception of how bad LSU's defense has been, based on the quarterback news, based on the fact that South Carolina has rolled off a couple of wins, I don't know if that line's dropped yet. I would guess it sort of starts to to drop it at some point this this week and maybe drops going into Saturday because I, I think it's – I was actually a little bit surprised based on how many questions LSU has that it had dropped or that it was it was as big as it was. So we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens there. But to tie all this together as our final thought here, Chris, the win over Auburn – Great. Great for the program. Much needed for the kids, for the coaches, and for the fans. And as another major step forward. But much like the win over Georgia, and one thing we'll always try to be on this show is we'll try to keep it more towards the middle. We're not going to overreact for a loss, and hopefully we're not going to overreact and put too much stock into a win either. But much like South Carolina beat Kentucky last year and then beat Georgia last year and had a key home game against Florida in which they really controlled for about three of the four quarters, I would say, looking back, this is an opportunity for South Carolina. Now, they did not take advantage of the opportunity last year. But when you create an opportunity, and they deserve credit for creating this for themselves because if they're sitting there 0-4, then – the wheels have fallen off, and the opportunity is not there. Yeah, but if you're three and two with a win with back-to-back wins over Auburn and LSU, including a win at LSU, going into your bye week, midway point of the year, after starting zero and two, I don't think there's a South Carolina fan on the planet <laughs> who wouldn't sign for that. So. I look at this as, all right, what what can you do with it? 
Can can you really? I, I think if you beat LSU, you really start to change the perception of looking at last year as a fluke, as opposed to being where this program is. Yeah. And yeah. well, and again, football is about matchups. A lot of times, whether you win or lose on that day, has to do with who's across from you. You know, not necessarily what you did the week before or the week before that. There's still plenty of things that they have to get better on and that they have to clean up. Uh, Will Muschamp would be the first person to tell you that, I think. But here, here's a chance. And Carolina, historically and even in recent years, has not been the best at taking advantage of these type of chances. So I'm very curious. I know the fans are excited. Let's see if they can do it this time. Yeah, can can you seize the seize the day, seize the opportunity? You know, you look at that Georgia game last year, and the week after, they played another top ten team in Florida at home, and had Florida on the ropes for a while. Didn't win, right? And then you go to Tennessee on the road, don't play well in the second half at all, fell apart, right? Then Vandy, you know, they won the Vandy game. And then it completely, the wheels fell off because App State, Texas A&M, Clemson, end of season was very poor from, you know, offense fell off a cliff, injuries just piled up, right? So as as it stands right now, this team's relatively healthy, right? Maybe even getting some more guys back that they've been missing. Um, and now they have an opportunity to, while LSU is not a, a game where you go, that's a game – I don't even know should it be a should win right now. It's still a toss-up in my mind, right? But it's a game they can win on the road, yeah. and I think compared to what we thought before the season, even more so. So they can go win that game. Then you got a bye week, and then you're getting ready for an A&M team that's beatable, right? Um, so definitely an opportunity to go forward and move your season forward. And you could look could look back at the Auburn game and look at it as a springboard to, you know, the first six games being a 4-2 and two situation. And that would certainly be ideal for this team. So it is all about where they go from here, trying to continue to improve, try to take some of the positives from the first four games of the season and, you know, move those things forward. Yep. And we'll try it. Well, obviously I haven't sort of taken that dive into LSU at all yet. So we'll, we'll be doing that throughout the week and, and kind of going from there, by the way, a little bit of a, statistical oddity here and it's partially because South Carolina has not played I would say what have turned out to be the best offenses but as much as we've talked about Carolina's defense potentially having issues and not quite uh, you know performing outstanding South Carolina defensively off the top of your head I don't know if you've already looked at this Chris where would you think they would be in conference I have totally scoring defense points per game. Um, yeah. Let's say let's take a, a stab six. They are tied for third in the SEC in points yeah. allowed per game, twenty four point five. They're actually uh, interestingly enough tied with Auburn, twenty four point five points per game allowed. So the SEC has been a little bit different this year as far as all offense and not as much defense, and that's just sort of how, how the league has played out. 
And and again, Carolina got to play Vandy. Tennessee has their issues on offense. Florida very good on offense. I think we'd all agree. Um, Auburn has their share of problems, but just a little perspective there. I think about about the defense. Um, Chris, I know you were on the Muschamp teleconference. We're going a little bit long just because there, there's a bunch of people still on here. I guess y'all like hearing about wins way more than you like hearing about <laughs> losses. But, yeah. Chris, if you you were on the teleconference yesterday, what all did Muschamp have to say? I know he doesn't give a lot on injuries, but he did talk about um, Cam a little bit as far as guys coming back. What all did he uh, give away as far as the teleconference yesterday? Well, so first, um, and I, I can't even recall if Izzy was talked about a lot on the teleconference, if it was more the post-game presser and the TV show, but Izzy, they, they felt like from his groin, you know, they just felt like maybe he wouldn't be protected out there. They didn't feel comfortable putting him out there. So um, that's sort of a wait and see. Aaron Sterling had some knee swelling. I saw during the game on Saturday, he had a brace on. That's something he's actually had in the past. There were some games – I don't remember what year he's been around since 2017. Obviously there's some games where he's had some knee swelling and missed some time due to that. Um, but they didn't feel comfortable running him out there. It sounds like he should be able to return quite soon. Um, Cam Smith has been released from the hospital. Basically he was covering a deep ball. He got cleated on his heel. He had a deep uh, laceration there that they were worried about being becoming infected. And so they went ahead and just preemptively uh, took him to the hospital so he could get some antibiotics. He's released as of Sunday and doing fine, and they think he'll play this week. Um, the only other one I can really think of is Rosendo Lewis. They were asked about his status because guys probably remember. Uh, looked like Lewis would be able to return sometime in October, has been the target. They're now talking about hopefully after the bye week for the A&M game, he may become available and that's important because Spencer Easton Riddle, unfortunately, tore his other ACL. He just got back from the one and uh, and tore the other one going down to cover, I think, a kick the other day on Saturday. So you hate that for him. He's a guy that the coaching staff and teammates just love and uh, was a leader on their special teams and, and also a backup at Mike to Ernest Jones. So unfortunate for him. Yeah, feel awful for, here, for him, man. He's a guy that does a lot in the community. Um, I think it's one of the SEC – oh, God, what's it called? One of the community service awards that they give away. And just by all accounts, really good dude, really good kid. So absolutely hate that for him, man. Um, dude, so before we get out of here, tell everybody about the game day chair. Yeah, man. So the game day chair is from AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Give them a call at 803-926-1493, or if you go to AffordableMedicalUSA.com and you're wondering what is the game day chair, type in the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight. It is a huge, roomy, super comfortable chair, back support, head support, a variety of positions. You got a TV watch position, lounge position, the lay flat, zero gravity Twilight position. Um, really can enhance your game day experience, so go check out the game day chair. And we appreciate those guys sponsoring us. Make sure you check them out and support their business. All right, folks. I think that's going to do it for today's show. Um, again, midnight tonight, our deal is over. Go on GamecockCentral.com, type in Beat Auburn in the promo field. $12 for one year of GamecockCentral.com. And uh, this 
is the first and only time we've ever done this deal. It's going to go away at midnight tonight. So y'all hop on. Like I said earlier, we don't try to bang over your head to come sign up uh, every show. We're going to keep doing the show. The show will remain free, but we'd love for you to come over and support us. And if you get on there, uh, make a post or something and say hello and um, say that you, you came on from the show because um, that'll that'll sort of be good for us there too. But appreciate all the support, all the chats were great. If we missed your question, we apologize. I'm sure we'll get to it tomorrow. This has probably been the biggest show since I think preseason. Uh, just looking at the numbers as we went. So appreciate it. If you missed the start, just click back, youtube.com slash Gamecock Central. The whole show will be archived. Or if you just want to listen to it, go to anywhere that has podcasts and just type in Gamecock Central Podcast, and you'll find it on there. For Chris, I'm Wes. We will see you all on Tuesday. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.